And welcome back, DGI Multiverse. This is DGI Mark for the Dad's Got Issues podcast. This is anniversary issue number 50. Uh, so good on us for making it this far. Um, we will be pulling some issues hot off the press today, um, pun intended, for this issue. And uh, we will be diving deep into what we would do to fix the DC Comics multiverse. Um, well, I guess not even really their multiverse, their company as well. Uh, but, uh, we're going to get started like we always do with some comic book reviews. Um, we're going to go all independent this week. Uh, we, uh, you know, we have plenty of time to cover the end of DC, uh, future state in a, in a few, in future episodes or future issues of hot off the press. So we're we'll take time to do that, but we will, uh, start off. Why don't we start off with Power Rangers um, and Mighty Morphin? Yeah. So we'll yeah. start off with those two um, to get us rolling because we can kind of breeze through those. Um, so let's start uh, Power Rangers issues three and four. Um, we find ourselves in the intro of three with Tommy and the Horde coming to their agreement slash partnership. Um, with Tommy promising to take the Horde and its leadership through the galaxy, collecting all the energy they desire. Um, the Horde, I guess, sensing no uh, misdeeds from, from Tommy or from Lord Draken, uh, agree to this, I guess, uh, the terms. And then uh, we get split off to Zach, Jason, and Trini, along with um, XI and uh, Yale. Um, recovering from the previous issues battle um, with the horde and the people, or the other the, his his minions, so to speak, um, and they're trying to come up with a, a plan to get the ship back and to take on the horde. Obviously, they're tremendously outnumbered. Right. Um, but the the group comes together um, and they come up with a group plan that involves their zoi their zords outside of the um the ship uh basically what the rangers are going to do is they're going to go out into space they're going to um basically set a trap with their zords because obviously their zords are, are come with tremendous power um and the horde was actually you know the reason why they were attracted to the ship in the first place was because it, it had so much power so what they're hoping happens is is it allows the the Zord, you know, bait allows them to attract all the little minions and the horde out, and then the leader will be by himself um, for distraction purposes in order to take him out. Um, and basically, that's the bulk of issue number three. Um, we get to the end of the issue. The Rangers put their plan into place. It doesn't seem like it's working quite as well as they expect it, um, but then you get the... I guess it kind of was a surprise swerve um, that Lord Draken um, assists the Rangers by taking out the leader of the Horde um, as he's distracted uh, watching what's going on outside of the ship. Um, which basically kind of gives Lord Draken, I guess, a strike in the good column for the Rangers where they, you know, there is very little, if any, trust whatsoever right. in what they're doing with him. Um, right, and well... And, and and what I'm thinking we're we're gonna see maybe through this uh this story that they're telling is that may, maybe this is a redemption arc. You know, yeah, you can't trust Dragon right now, but 
somewhere deep down, he is still a Tommy Oliver, right? And and that was his whole thing, you know, all the way through is, you know, on every other planet, Tommy was your every other existence, right? Every other plane that there was a Tommy, he was always revered and, and people loved him. And, and yeah. just he happened to be the one Tommy in the entire, you know, uh, multiverse, so to speak. That nobody liked, yeah. Uh, you know that he didn't get the adulation that all the other Tommies did, and so um, maybe, maybe that this is the start of that story. Yeah, I mean he's he he still can't be trusted completely, but I think maybe that's where we're going with it. Yeah, and that you know that kind of leads us into the like the the X, you know the the outro of issue number three with Trini and them placing uh, Draken back into his cell. Um, him basically kind of making the, con- the the joke that like you, what you don't trust me now or something like that, and um, Trini basically makes a comment of like not even a little bit. Um, but then that leads us into issue number four. Um, we we jump a little bit into into their travels. Uh, Tommy is now taking the Rangers to his Angel Grove. Um, I guess in his part of the multiverse. Um, once down on the ground, though, the Rangers are kind of exploring. They're looking for the Red Ranger um, emissary, which is basically, I guess, a statue that invokes power. Um, as they're walking, you know, around this Angel Grove, and I mean, it's just in complete ruins. Um, they find, oh, I should say, it finds them an ener- energy manifestation of the Morphin Grid. Um, and obviously, you know, Draken makes the comment of like, we're fine as long as it doesn't smell us, but then like immediately it turns its head and takes after him. Um, the Rangers split up Zach and Trini, um, Jason and Tommy. And I'm noticing that that's kind of becoming a trope of, of power Rangers is that anytime the groups get split up, it seems to be Jason and Tommy get put together and Trini and Zach get put together. Um, which is fine, but ultimately it's going to lead, you know, down the road to, I think, more trust from Jason and Tommy than maybe from Zach and Trini, which could end up pulling it, pulling the, the team a little bit. Um, but they all wind up at what seems to be in a, uh, I guess like a museum or a town hall where Draken at one point in time found himself focused. Um, and, you know, the, the gang ends up finding, I guess they're robots, right? Yeah. So they're they're basically like ro- robot rangers that Draken made. Oh well, no. Oh, I'm sorry. You're talking. You're talking about like the um, all the people that were there. You know, like cheering for Lord Draken. Yes. No. Th- so those rangers, those were the ones that were created by him. Okay. So I I was under the impression they were they were artificial. So is that fair? I'd have to go back and look now, but I thought that they were actual uh, just like leftover loyalists to the dragon. Because when he kicked, like he when he kicks, like the he kicks the one, the head flies off. And when and when Zach is battling the one with the lacrosse stick, he also like kind of gets around them, and it it just everything they like, even like the text kind of comes out robotic, like the font, like. My my thought was either they were they were robots or they were like kind of like clones without consciousness, so to speak. They just are just mindless, right? Um, either way, uh, yeah, I'd have to go back and and look at the comic again. Either way, I I think this was a good way of highlighting like how alone in his world Draken really was before he started trying to take over the universe. Because you know, af, you know, 
you can only sit around so long and, you know, be by yourself before you, you start to go, you know, insane. Right. Um, but as they're, you know, discussing the depths of Draken's uh, solitude, the gang's attacked again by another energy manifestation. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, Jason was actually able to find the Red Ranger emissary as a result of the attack, getting knocked to like a different level of the the building. He's able to recover most of the missing pieces, and the ra- other Rangers are able to get back to the ship as well, on uns- pretty much unscathed. Um, and they Xi puts the the emissary together. And then, you know, they realize they're missing a piece. Draken advises he knows where uh, that missing piece is and that the rangers must hunt down an Imperial, which is basically, I'm assuming, like a bounty hunter for the Power Ranger universe. And we get a quick preview of who we're, who we're going after in issue number five and moving forward, presumably. Um, and I, I, I did go back and, and look. So, uh, yes, they, they, are, they were created by him. Um, they don't come out and specifically say that they're robots. They just said that he made them all by hand. Yeah. So, so like I said, it, it, issues three and four are good. Um, it's pacing the story along a little bit more. We're actually getting out of the ship. I thought the in retrospect, I don't know how important the Hort was for like the grand scheme of things. Like it was, I guess, a very cool temporary bad guy to kind of set the the tone for the heroes. But I just. It sucked because they seemed like such a formidable foe. But they were they were beaten pretty easily. Yeah, but that's but that's that's Power Rangers, man. Like you know how it goes. You get a monster in there that's supposed to take out the Power Rangers, and you know they get taken out, and then you know they get turned big, and then they get taken out by the robot or well, you know the Zords, and yeah. that's the end of them. So like the only time, the only few that you know ever survive are like you know like in the original series, like a Goldar or. or um, Scorpina or something like that. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of par for the course for them to introduce a villain only to just get rid of it almost just as quickly. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, it's, I think that they serve their purpose, right? Like, yeah. you know, they, they, you don't need them around if they're not going to be part of the, the long term story, but it does show you what Draken is willing to do for this, this team. Yeah. Um, so because so, it's not like he, it's not like he planned for the, to run into the horde. You know what I mean? Well, uh, we don't, we don't know. If he planned. True. So, true. Because that was that was something gonna, that was something I'm that assume. <laughs> that was something that Trini and Zach were very concerned with whether or not he knew taking them through that portion of space would lead him and lead them into this running with this this alien um, invader, so to speak. Um, but yeah, so uh, issue five will, will be interesting. Um, it was definitely interesting to see his angel grove and what it's turned into, um, and basically what he was running away from um, in in Lord Draken. And then we get Mighty Morphin number four this week, um, this past week. Um, issue number three revealed to Grace Sterling. Um, she's a CEO of Promethea, which is also she's also a former Red Ranger, um, right. who uh, is behind the green the new green ranger um somehow some way they haven't quite explained fully um it seems that um billy knew or helped in some way with her uh, you know retrieving 
the Green Ranger Morpher from, um, you know, the Ranger hideout, so to speak. Right. And she has now put somebody else inside of the Green Ranger suit, uh, which yes. is which is actually re- revealed at the end of this issue. Right. And, and it's funny because I think when we talked about, and I, I want to say it was in issue one, they, um, they introduced Matt. Yes. Right. And I was like, I feel like that's just kind of like trying to pull us off. I don't think that it's him. I feel like they were trying to just trick us. Well, they were trying to give you such a, they were trying to give you such an origin story so close to Tommy's that you'd be like, there's no way they're going to do this again. <laughs> right. Um, but they did. <laughs> but for the bulk of issue number four, though, you get the Rangers and the Green Ranger fighting Zed's mega putty, essentially, um, in their Zords. And, you know, uh, initially you think, you know, uh, hey, they're going to win. This is going to be just like another, you know, another Ranger mashup kind of thing. But nope, the, you know, the the putty stands, its, you know, stands on its own two legs for a change. And with the help of Zed, who is basically directly controlling this putty, Right. Um, is able to take out both uh, Zords, um, leaving basically no chance for the Rangers to the point that the Rangers have to basically well, abandon ship, so to speak. They were going. They were for for this. They were going to combine the White Tiger Zord and the Dragon Zord, which you know would have been an interesting Premise. setup because I we, we, I don't think we've seen that before. Yeah. Um. Except in people's you know imaginations. Yes. So Um. I, I, but but Zed prevented it from happening. But ultimately, and, but then that's probably ultimately a payoff we're going to get, right? We're right. going to we're going to get the combination of those two, those two Zords, uh, in order to take down this putty. Maybe that's why Zed did what he did because he knew if those two powers were able to combine, it would be problematic for him moving forward. Right. Well, but it's uh, it's interesting though because the 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 original six is what we'll call them, right? Yeah. Um, they pulled out of their out of this battle and back to the command center. Meanwhile, Matt is left there um to fend for himself. All on his own. And um uh, this is where we get the uh the reveal. The, the reveal. But we also you also you know you get you also you get two reveals, right? You get Skull's girlfriend revealing that she's Elia of Altar there to speak with um i'm blanking on the name give me the name zordon zordon um and then obviously uh we get the reveal of math matthew cook as the green ranger which i think are both interesting reveals because it seems like they're trying to make zelia kind of like the force of like she's the existential force that's now going to confront Zordon and the and the way he's handling the Rangers, and Matthew is kind of like the internal conflict that is going to face the Rangers now because now they got to figure out he's been working with us basically in secrecy, but we need we need to figure out a way to help him now. You know he's going to be like as much as as important as it is to stop Zed. I think the Rangers are going to feel more compelled to get in and fight with. You know, and basically to to get in and fight alongside of Matthew Cook because they've never revealed their identities. You know what I mean? Like he right. did, he did it within three or four appearances as the Green Ranger that I am this person. You know, I'm here to help. So it's definitely it's definitely uh uh you know I am Iron Man 
uh, type of reveal. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, but he also doesn't work for a sentient being. He works for a company, right? right. He works for Pr- Promethea. Where she- so I'm wondering, you know, how much, you know, like how much this, this will impact the other Rangers. Like, you know, they, they might feel compelled to, to reveal themselves. I don't think that it's a good idea. No, I don't. Um, I don't think it's a good idea for them. No, not in the long run, but it would be but, a very interesting. It would be a very interesting approach because we've seen what happens in all the other comics when people reveal identities and things like that because it creates problems. The only person that hasn't, to this point, hasn't really created a problem for is Superman. Um, but like we know, we saw what happened in like Marvel comics when Peter Parker revealed his identity in Civil War. Um, it, it went south very fast. Um, right. Same thing. And the f- one guy who you know, like you know, like like Frank Castle, like he has nothing to lose. Yeah. So you know that who the Punisher is. Yeah. So yeah. Overall, very strong issue number four. Uh, great reveals. Great um, story building and storytelling um, that they're doing, and they're making Zed look more formidable than he's he's ever been uh, portrayed in any of the shows. So that's always good. Um, so we will move from the Power Rangers series over to crossover number four. Um, we kick off with a full meet and greet with all the characters from the paybacks, Dr. Black, Madman, so on and so forth, and our, our crossover family. Um, we find out that Ava's parents were sent back to the comic verse through a portal that pops up sporadically throughout the, the dome. Um, and, Unfortunately, with that portal brings good opportunity to get people back to normal, you know, the normal comic realm, but it also brings in new heroes to reality and sometimes new villains. Um, And we get to see like, you know, we see the giant squid tentacles from Watchmen, but then you also see the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man um, in the art. Um, And then, you know, we get also find out that it takes a ton of magic to get in and out of that dome. And then the longer that the heroes are outside of the, the dome, the less powerful they and their magic becomes. Um, so although, you know, there was this ray of hope that the paybacks, Dr. Black and Madman would be able to help, you know, Ava, Ellie and company get inside of the dome. So Ellie could find her family. Ava could find hers and go home. Um, it seems that the heroes that we've now met are not as powerful as they need to be in order to get back inside of the dome without some sort of assistance. Um, which then leads us to the team taking the trip to the national event Memorial museum, which is basically where they're keeping all the recovered artifacts from the crossover that they were able to get their hands on. Um, the madman and company explained to Ellie and company that they're after the veil of facts. Um, which is actually from the God and Country series circa 2017. Um, they actually run into Deanna Quinlan, Quinlan um, and are introduced to her relationship with her grandfather, Emmett, um, both of which are from that God of Country, that God Country series. Um, and the Valifax is a sword, which is a sword, and it's apparently powerful enough to cut through the dome, presumably. They're assuming this. Because the way it's kind of explained in the little short backstory they kind of give you, which was very oddly reminiscent of the Black Flag story they put in the comic 
series, The Watchmen, where like you got the Watchmen story, but then they gave you this like little side story, kind of like right. the, you know to 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 add to it, which was cool. Yeah. Um, they basically it it tells you like yeah, I am a powerful sword, but I'm only supposed to be wielded by certain people. You know what I mean? You're not like he says that Deanna is not worthy. The sword says it outright. I'm not. You're not worthy, and my 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 purpose isn't to be a tool, but uh, essentially to be uh, a killing. Like his his purpose is to kill, not to to cut through things or be be you know wielded as a normal sword. Um, and then, but basically, she 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 knew exactly what they were looking for when they came into the museum. Um, and then at the end of it, we get the equivalent of what is a post credit scene, in my opinion, where with Father Lowe, which is, um, one of our, I guess now heroes, fathers who, and he's kind of our main antagonist to this point, yeah. um, yeah. torturing a captured hero. I couldn't quite make out who the hero was. And I tried to do some research on it to try and figure out who it was, because I'm not really well versed on the image hero verse so to speak i know like the big ones i know like the spawns and things like that but i don't quite know everybody but i couldn't find anything on who that hero was so i don't know if he's original to the book or if it's maybe just a, a super lesser known that i was or maybe it's even a villain i wasn't looking in the right category but what that those couple panels those couple pages were showing us is what was happening to hero what is happening to heroes or villains that are captured in the real world like you know, post, you know, post arrest essentially. And basically they're being beaten and tortured to the point that either they turn on their fellow comic book cohorts or, you know, they give out, give the information that is necessary to beat their, their, uh, cohorts. Um, another very strong issue in my opinion. Um, I've, it's funny because I've actually, you know, I, we, this is the second time trying to get this issue in. Uh, we had some technical difficulties yesterday, um, but it allowed me to sit back and actually do some more research because I really wanted to do some research for the DC stuff that we were going to talk about at the end of this issue. Um, but I, I, it got me reading more about crossover and reading some of the reviews and some of the critiques and things like that. And it seems like the people that are most critical of this series are the people that are super familiar with image. And that's fine. I find that to be the situation I believe with like everything, you know, DC movies, most people that are critical of DC movies are people who are really well versed in the DC universe or sometimes they're just people that have Star Wars, man. Same thing with Star, Star Wars. Wars. Yeah. Like there, there isn't a group of people that hate Star Wars more than Star Wars fans. But I can tell you, I, you the one site I, a couple of sites I went on, but one site like has collected a bunch of reviews from different sites. And I think there was like 24, 25 reviews, give or take. And I would only say about two of them were, were super critical in the sense that like they, they were saying to this point that they didn't like what they're reading. So if you're getting 20, 22, 23 reviews where you're like, Oh, this is a great book. Then presumably crossover is doing something right. Um, I'm very interested with the announcement of the spawn multiverse to see how that ends up playing into this crossover multiverse. I think at some point you have to have a spawn appearance, like whether it's like they're in the bubble and he helps or, you know, even if it's a, maybe a violator or some, some villain or hero from the spawn multiverse, a popping up inside a crossover would be big for the book. And I think, Early on, it's not necessary because you want it to build its own legs. 
You know what I mean? You don't want it to become the 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 independent title that's now dependent upon Spawn to be to be relevant, which I think it's doing a good job. It's establishing good characters. Um, bringing in Madman is 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 great. His little action sequence, his little fight scene with the yo-yo was pretty pretty smooth. Um, but one thing that's being heralded essentially is the artwork, and rightfully so. I think this book is beautifully drawn. Like the 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 differentiate between the comic people and the the real people, and then like doing the flashbacks, and then you know, like I said, that little you know God Country mini story in there. Like it was great. the the whole This whole issue was a, a extreme highlight of the lengths that they're taking with this book. And I think I I don't know if I said it to you. I think I might have said it to you that I it, the only thing it pains me is that we have to wait a month between each each issue. And I've said that before, like, it just sucks that, like, it, it doesn't come out at the regularity that some of these other big company books come out. But I think that's good for the book, though, because it's allowing them to create a better better product for us each and every month. Um, <clears throat> so what were your what were your highlights from from this issue? So, I mean, I, I enjoyed it from, like, the, from the start start to end right um everything about it was it, it it keeps the story going uh it if you're not um an image fan right that you know you can go in there and you can get a feel for each of the characters that they're trying to introduce especially you know madman um so i thought they did a really good job at kind of getting everybody um I guess up to speed yeah. for lack of a better term um, on what we're dealing with. Uh, I, I, I like, I like that there are rules within the, within this universe that like, you know, they, they aren't all powerful, right? Like yeah. is what you kind of assumed, right? When they got there, you're like, okay, well they have all their powers, so they can't be stopped. They could. Yeah. In, in, in reality, like, the dome is is the only thing that's kind of keeping them with their powers, right? Yep. If they if they get away with it, then wouldn't I mean maybe I'm just overthinking it, but when you think if they get away with it, that their powers it's, would just fade. It's almost like the dome is protecting the heroes. Right. You know what I mean? Like the, the dome was put there to essentially protect society. Is is what 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 the thought process was to 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 protect our reality, but now it's seemingly that the dome is protecting, allowing the heroes to maintain their powers. And once you're outside right, the dome, right. you like become they, they can keep their powers. So it's like if the and maybe we'll get an explanation at some point. But like I'm just sitting here thinking about it. Like if the dome goes away, would their powers dissipate? Yes, that's and, 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 ultimately and ultimately it's and like. Then, are we okay, so now are we came, there aren't are, any more superheroes, there aren't any more powers, and we can just go back to normal? Yeah, are they containing... I, I, I don't know, but um, yeah, oh. that's that's the good thing with these stories. Is like You don't know where it's going or, or what what's happening, so um, I thought that that was good. Um, obviously, um, you know, our, our preacher uh, villain is going to need, eventually get his comeuppance. It will yeah. happen. Um you know, I don't think there's any reverting him or changing his mind. Um, seeing the lengths that he's going to, 
Um, Update information. And, and kind of going with this this idea that like it was the superheroes that took his son away, not him and his abusive relationship <laughs> driving him away. Yeah. So, um, but all in all, uh, it was a good book, uh, and uh, it, it definitely was one that uh, that was like for to get through this issue. Like I was glad I was able to get to it. Yeah. Um, so uh, overall, like I said, crossover is great. The cover stuff has been good. Um, they did a really good job with this issue. There was a variant cover with Mad Men holding the Veil of Facts, but they did like a super tease for it. Where, like, the cover basically covered up the veil of facts so it wouldn't spoil the, you know, the, the, the reveal in the inside. And I, I'm assuming for the image multiverse, it's a big, this, this sword is a big deal. It's a, it's a massive, you know, it is a big weapon um, for the, them, for the heroes to get their names on. Uh, <clears throat> one thing that I didn't, I didn't hit on when they were going to the museum, obviously they end up getting caught and, <clears throat> police or somebody come and they're trying to arrest the heroes and he, the the one uh Otto's like we we have a little girl with us like trying to play off that you know Ava is a real human girl like you would like basically you wouldn't shoot a child would you when in all reality we obviously know she's not a she's not she's not a human or she's a hero essentially she's got powers um, and she does end up using her powers in that moment to basically distract and enough, just enough so the heroes can get away. Um, but it was a, it was a little, you know, Otto gets probably like five or six panels of a book where he makes, you know, his wise cracks. And I just thought that one stood out. Right. Um, but, uh, moving on to another image book, um, Department of Truth number six, uh, we are introduced this issue to new artists, um, Elsa, She's French, so sorry if I butcher this last name. I want to say Chartier. Chartier. Um, but she's worked on a ton of different Marvel books, image books before. Um, she definitely brings a brand new image and look to Department of Truth with this issue. Um, it'll be interesting to see if she sticks around for future issues or if next issue we go back to the normal, you know, scratch against the wall type of art that we've been getting throughout the series. Uh, what did you think first impressions of the art? Cause I mean, it starts from page one. It, it doesn't even like transition into it. It's just like, Oh, new artist. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was definitely different. Um, not what we're accustomed to. Um, and, and I think it was maybe just for the purposes of this story, like to kind of set the, uh, set the tone, so to speak. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, as we've highlighted on multiple issues, right. Art tells a story. And, and it helps tell the story. And, um, and maybe it was more of a, we're going to give you this artist because it's crisper. It's a little cleaner. You can see more of the detail behind things. And it explains how we've devolved into the level of art <laughs> that you've right. now become accustomed to. Well, yeah. I mean, it was bright. It was colorful. There was, it was, uh, uh, it was lighter. Yes. Um, and, uh, so like, you know, with the, especially like the past couple issues, like it's just been darkness <laughs> yeah. uh, for, for everything. So it was, a, it was a nice break. Um, not to say that the, those issues weren't good. They were still great issues. It's just, this one was a nice, okay. 
we're just doing something a little bit different. Yeah. And, and uh and I, I I really liked it. Yeah, and the issue itself is different. Um it deals with Lee Harvey Oswald um his start within the Department of Truth after his air quotes death um slash assassination. Um he's taken into the depths of the bunker um and thrown into the library, which we've been introduced to previously, but it we didn't see the detail of the library that we saw in this issue and previous issues. When he's dropped off into the library and basically said, you know, you're going to read every book in here. You're going to learn every truth, every lie, and be able to, to, to continue to perpetuate whatever we ask you to do moving forward. You know, it's a, it's a massive facility. You know, you're talking, you know, stories high of books. And he's like, I don't even know where to start. And they give, basically give him a book and they say, well, why don't you start with this one? He's like, well, I don't know Latin. And he, they give him the Latin dictionary. He's like, this is going to take me forever. He's like, well, good thing you have nothing but time when you're dead. Um, but uh, like I said, the story uh, dives, essentially ends up diving back into a book from the Middle Ages um, and tells us about the first incarnation of what eventually becomes the Illuminati. Because um, that's, that's how they're introduced within the story, right? Um, that's what it ends up trans his, one of his last translations using the Latin dictionary is Illuminati. Um, but it's, it's an interesting story. You know what I mean? It's very similar to what we got in issue number one, where, um, what's our main, our main, see when they don't name the person in the issue, I forget names. What's our main character's name? For uh, Cole, Cole. So when Cole's say for, for Department of Truth, yeah, yeah. Cole. For for Cole in issue number one, he's introduced to the um, um, the man in the black hat and you know the the lady in the red dress, right? He's introduced to these characters and they show him all these things that are be are perceived to be truths, but are actually lies, and all these lies that are perceived to be lies, but are actually truths. So you know, hey, we were first on the moon. Well, he walks through them basically. The, the set of, of the moon landing. And then, you know, he's told his whole life that, you know, earth is round and they take him to the edge of the edge of the edge of the earth. You know what I mean? Because it's actually flat essentially is what they're, they're trying to prove. So the same thing can be said in, you know, this, this dive back into the medieval times, this monk, um, finds this old lady who, who perceivably is is spreading lies to the children about the universe around them. And I th- I'm pretty sure this this time period, this Middle Ages that they're dealing with is in like like probably around like the time of the plague because it seems like the land is desolate until this monk reaches this witch's lair or area and it's flourishing. You know what I mean? Her she's it's nothing but green foliage and running water you know running streams and you know seems to be she's living a life of you know you know fertility so to speak um but just having the conversations with her it's very similar to the conversations cole has the first time he runs into um uh black hat and the lady in the red dress right where She's telling this monk, like, everything you believe is a lie. Things that you've been told are a lie. Like, this is really what reality is around you. 
blah, 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 blah. And, and he's like, you know, well, it doesn't make sense because if you're saying what you're saying is true, you'd be 500 years old. And she's like, well, I'm actually 300. And like, she's making like, you know, wise cracks and jokes at his expense because he's so naive to everything, but he's just willing to believe whatever's being told to him. And she essentially tells him like, no, you, you are here to kill me. You are here to stop the perpetuation of the truth because you want your truth to be reality where this truth could be reality if you allowed it to be. Um, and essentially at the end of that, you know, read or that translation from Latin, we find out that the monk ends up killing the witch, which ultimately she knew was going to happen to her. She said, you know, I, she basically kind of said, she, you know, I accepted this fate when I took my role, blah, 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 blah. And he ends up, you know, driving a knife through her, you know, through her. Um, but we still don't quite understand or know is the Department of Truth the good guys or is the Black Hat Society the good guys? Right. You know what I mean? Where, where we were almost convinced at the beginning, like the Department of Truth was real and it was necessary. We know it's real. Um, that it was the real deal and it was, it, it was the good side of the coin. You know what I mean? It was heads, not tails. But now you're almost like, are we looking at like, are we looking at a lesser of two evils? Are we looking at the Department of Truth is actually the bad guys? Um, who knows? Clearly Lee Harvey Oswald knows, but he's standing on one side of history himself, right? So it'll be interesting to see moving forward how Cole deals with not only, I mean, I don't know what this is going to do for us. You know I mean? This issue necessarily in the long scheme of things, I think it was just trying to go to show how far back the Department of Truth and the truthers or black hat society type people have been interacting and fighting amongst each other. But it'll be interesting to see how this plays into Cole's final interaction in issue number five with the man in the black hat, basically explaining to him, like you think you're on the right side of history or on the right side of, of the the coin here, but you're actually not. And one day you're going to figure this out. Um, but I enjoyed it. Uh, like it's, like you said, I thought the art was a nice break from what we're accustomed to. It set a different tone, and it definitely showed us that we were in a different time frame. I'm hoping, in my mind, like I said at the beginning, where we start with our super grainy, super dark and morbid art, and then we get, we got this because it wanted to show you, well, this is where Department of Truth started at. It was bright. It was... You know, it was clean, it was organized, it wasn't chaotic, and now this is what it's kind of, you know, what you've been reading is what it's divulged into, essentially. Um, but, like I said, I enjoyed it. It was a good issue. Um, is there anything about it that you didn't like? Um, no, no. I think that they did a... I, I don't have any... Um, no, I don't have any complaints or, or anything where I'm like, oh, that was that was dumb. Yeah. Um, you know, everything that they're saying makes sense, right? Like, yeah, you, you're, if you're Lee Harvey Oswald, he can't go out. He can't be seen in public. People know who he is now. If there, if he was, if he was still alive, you know, today, like, yeah, he could go out and about because nobody's going to recognize him, right? Yeah. Um, but you know that the whole thing. But the fact that they're like, here, read this, and it has to be translated from Latin, like. At, at that point in time, right? I mean, we're still looking at, you know, the 60s. Like, 
nobody's converted that over yeah. so that, that you can't read it. But um, I'm sure that uh, by now that's been done. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So like I said, good book. James doing. James is doing a good job with that, and his name will definitely be coming back up in the last um, discussion of the day as well. I'm sure. Um, so last book we're going to talk about, uh, last Ronin number two, uh, for the Ninja Turtle universe. Um, this issue is told basically from April O'Neil's perspective. Um, we find that, um, life has not gotten easy for her, um, past the death of the turtles, um, either. She's missing some arms, some legs, um, or I guess an arm and a leg respectively. Um, she has prosthetics for those. Uh, we find, you know, when she wakes up, she's staring across from her at um, Casey Jones's mask and hockey sticks. Presumably, he has also passed away. Um, they didn't really touch on that much. Uh, in this issue, I would assume we will get that at some point in the future. Um, but we do get a flashback to the events that led up to the death of the rest of the Turtles. Um, at some point in time, the Foot Clan and the Turtles had came to a mutual like agreement that they were no longer feuding with one another. Um, at some point in time, that agreement was broken by the Foot Clan, and they ambushed the Turtles and Master Splinter, um, killing Master Splinter, which then obviously set the Turtles off. Uh, more importantly, Ralph, uh, which doesn't um, really surprise anybody that's uh, of a fan of the Turtle series, because he obviously is the one that ends up going half cock 90% of the time. Right. Um, and he goes off after them, much to the dismay of the rest of the brothers. Um, and then obviously the rest of the brothers go after him to try and, you know, save him from basically dying um, and fail to do so with Michelangelo obviously being the only one to make it out of it alive. Um, we do get a nice little moment where Michelangelo is talking to the rest of the turtles ghosts essentially down in the um the turtle layer um it's kind of sad at the beginning and then you kind of get to that normal level of banter you would expect from the heroes and then you know the comment or you know statements made well hey at least i didn't try to kill myself and like it kind of like cuts off at that point and like the, the ghosts disappear and you're like well it's still you know he's clearly still suffering from ptsd and dealing with like the death of his brothers and you know, so on and so forth. So that was, although it was sad, it was nice, but then it ultimately just went right back to being sad um, at the end. Um, we are also introduced to April and Casey's daughter, Casey Jones. Um, and it's clear she has a plan already in place that didn't involve any of the turtles coming back, right? She's working within this cast system of future NYC where she's taking like, the people who feel like nobody cares about them, the the lower class, the lower portion of New York City, and she's trying to get them to rise up against the upper class. Very, you know, PC, you know, PC culture of what, what we're dealing with, I think, in modern society today. Um, but obviously now she kind of has a weapon at her disposal that she did not expect in Michelangelo. Um, but uh, we, we get a scene with... Um, uh, Okuro Hiroto, the grandson of, of Shredder, basically beating the crap out of a bunch of, like, foot soldiers. I think we could have done without that, but obviously they got to put him in the book somewhere, right? Like, you got you to gotta continue to remind readers why your bad guy's a bad guy. 
Um, but it was just one of those things that I'm like, uh, we probably could have done without that. Um, and then obviously I think the big thing that a lot of teen, teenage mutant Ninja Turtle fans are going to be happy with or excited about was the homage to Eastman's art, um, in the telling of Michelangelo's story after the death of his family. Um, it was a nice change of pace. It was a great, you know, take on how Eastman used to draw the books. Um, and it really did help build the character of Michelangelo as a solo hero, essentially. You know, he tried to go off. He tried to live a peaceful life. It was impossible for him to do. Um, and he realized, you know, his his destiny was to come back and avenge his family, essentially. Um, so what were what were your major takeaways from this as as seeing as this is gonna be up to five issues? Like what's your what's your major takeaway from issue number two you think is gonna play moving forward in the you know, the grand scheme of this this last Ronin story? Well, I mean, obviously there's a lot of there's a lot of unresolved conflict, right? Um yeah. because because Mikey's left all on his own carrying the the his his essentially everything that his family ever represented uh on his shoulders. Um but uh you know I think ultimately the 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 payoff here is that you know he didn't give up that regardless even though they're not they're not there physically that they're still with him. Um yeah. and, and you're you're gonna get this this um I don't I guess as happy of an ending as, as you could possibly get. I, I feel like there's, there's definitely more turmoil ahead. Um, I, I, I like, I just, I feel that like that's kind of where he's not done suffering. Yet. Yeah. Uh, uh, and as much as you, you think that he'd be at rock bottom right now, I don't think he's there. Um, I think there's going to be something else that happens. And then, he's going to, to rise back up and, uh, and move forward. But, um, I, you know, I, I really enjoyed this book. Like I'm hooked into it. Like there's, you know, even though it's going to be, when's the next issue drop? I think it's May in like, yeah, May. it's, it's not anytime soon. Uh, so I'm just going to be sitting here patiently waiting for that next issue to come out. Yeah. Uh, and because, um, yeah, I'm I'm intrigued. I definitely want to see where Michelangelo goes from here. And also what the what you know, what story are we are we going to get because uh, you know, obviously yeah, the you know, the rest of the turtles have been have been killed. Splinter is dead, Casey is dead. Uh April is is you know, all jacked up. Um but there hasn't been any real who are we going after? Obviously, you know, we know who the villain is, but um, there hasn't been a whole lot of time dedicated to uh, to Michelangelo going and actually finishing the finishing whatever his yeah. his mission is. I think if if we're being honest, one thing I've noticed that hasn't been addressed in this book yet is the fate of shredder so we haven't got into like where where did shredder go you know what i mean like what like what happened after the the true the treaty between the foot and turtle clan was broken what ultimately became of shredder um so i think we're gonna probably get that at some point 
Um, but I think, like you said, I think Michelangelo, although he's lost so much to this point, I don't think loss is done. Like his loss is done. I think I, I hate to say it, it's going to be either April or Casey are going to end up being victims. And that ultimately may either make or break whether Michelangelo at the end of this can do what he knows needs to be done. Um, but we'll see. Like you said, there's a lot more to flesh out. It's unfortunate that we have to wait till May for issue number three, and then God knows how long after that for the, the final two issues. But um, it's good. It's very good. And I'm not a TMNT sub- subber. Like, I don't read the ongoing series much, and it's just not something. Like, I actually had to go and do some research, you know, for certain characters and things like that to figure out who I'm reading about. Um, but, yeah, I, like I said, it's good. I, I like it. I like it a lot. Um, but we will move on to something that me and Charlie like a whole lot more and we will, um, move into our final segment for today's, uh, hot off the press issue. Um, and it's our ideas to save the DC comic universe. Um, now, like I said, we, we tried to get this issue done yesterday with, with some technical difficulties. So it did give me a little bit of time to actually sit down and do a little bit of research on, what's going well and what's not going so well for the DC comic um, company, so to speak. Um, We all know that AT&T and Warner Brothers purchased DC Comics in 2018. Um, It was a slow roll at start. Like the DC Universe was still a thing. They were still doing DC Direct for toys. They were doing all this, all the stuff that like a lot of fans were really positive and behind. And they were doing a lot of advertisement for these things. Um, But once... AT&T decided they wanted to start rearranging everything, they really started rearranging everything. Um, They had multiple mass layoffs over the last two years um, in 2019 and 2020. Um, Tons of restructuring, moving offices from New York to to California to be closer to the media side of the the DC um, brand. They uh, started killing off the DC Universe app slowly but surely. And although the, the app initially was lacking some like live action content, um, it seemed to be gaining traction with a lot of its originals, Doom Patrol, um, Titans, Stargirl, so on and so forth. They were starting to put some product out there that fans were really behind. Um, not to mention that there's they had such an extensive comic book content on the app that a lot of fans even people that are loyal to print were like it's nice to have like i'm paying for your your television shows and like your library of of catalogs of of previous entertainment ventures but i'm also getting all this comic book stuff that like i don't need to go and pull my long box out to read this issue or give it to my kid to read like i can just say hey it's on the app you know what i mean kind of thing obviously most parents i think they collect comic books would much prefer their kids to read it through a book than through a screen, but it is a level of convenience that we, we now had as fans. Um, they, uh, announced in 2018, they also wanted to shake some things up and they removed Jeff Johns from his role of chief creative officer for the brand and puts, uh, Jim Lee into that role. Um, whether that was smart or not, I, I think to this point, I don't, think dc has suffered with jim lee in that role um but we got um shortly after that firing i mean it's not really shortly but two years later they they fired dan um didio who was their lead their co-publisher co-lead publisher with jim lee they fired him 
and they gave Jim Lee that role. So not only is Jim Lee in the CCO of the company, he's also the lead publisher for DC Comics. So ultimately, any success or failure that occurs within the DC comic realm falls at Jim Lee's feet now. Uh, where previously there were some other people you could maybe you could maybe blame, but now Jim Lee is the guy. Um, and AT&T and Warner Brothers have come out publicly stating, with some backing from Lee previously, um, that they believe digital is the future of comic books. Um, and they also uh, have come out and said in the midst of the pandemic with everything going on that they didn't believe that they were going to be tossing as much money into the convention scene as they previously were to, to the start of the pandemic, which saw AT&T, you know, spending buku bucks to be at like New York Comic-Con, San Diego Comic-Con, so on and so forth, not just in an entertainment capacity, but also a comic capacity. They were giving exclusive covers to the events. They were setting up massive booths with free handouts and things like that. Um, but yeah, um, as far as the comic market share that DC has, there's very limited data so far for last year. Obviously, we're only two months into um, 2021, but COVID crushed most of the entertainment industry Um pretty much anything other than streaming media or anybody that launched, I mean, a majority of the companies launched apps last year for, for streaming um, their television shows and movie products. Um, but comics were no different. Projections for sales were down over four point, they were, around, they were down around 4.39% over the course of the year from 2019. Um, where in 2019, we actually saw a mild uptick. It wasn't much. It was like a little less than a percent, but you were seeing a growth in the market for the, you know, for, across the, the board. Um, Marvel Comics accounts for 40.9% of the market share of comics being sold in 2020 compared to DC's only having 28.6%. And that's with Marvel only putting out 292 new comics where DC put out 283 new comics. So it's not like Marvel put out a ton more books every week. You know what I mean? They just... They put out a, uh, they they sold more of their product essentially. Right. Um, but I think part of that though is is because Marvel's so in DC you have the entire DC universe right uh, yeah. every everything's connected everybody's connected I mean even still Marvel that that's semi true but there's definitely a different like there's it feels different with with their characters, right? Like uh, the X-Men feel like they're their own thing. The Fantastic Four feel like they're their own thing. Yeah. Uh, the Avengers are their own thing. Even though they all, you know, at sometimes cross over, cross paths, um, those all feel like they're, they're their own unique thing. So you have people who are nothing but X-Men fans that are going to just buy X-Men comics. You have nothing but uh, Spider-Man fans that all they're going to do is buy Spider-Man. Same thing for Avenger-related stuff. Where is DC? You know, a lot of their stuff is. The, you have the Trinity, right? Yeah. Uh, you have the Justice League, um, like those books. There, you can you can get your fix of a hero from multiple through multiple ways, um, and I feel like that's that's part of it. You know, like you don't have to read a Flash book. Because if you already read Justice League, you're getting you're getting you're getting your flash dose in that. Yeah. So, but even with those numbers, the forty percent, twenty eight percent, whatever, 
DC still accounted for four of the top 10 highest selling books across the market. So speculation, nothing confirmed because I really couldn't couldn't 100% concrete confirm this, but there's speculation that the three jokers, number one sold for as high as 300,000 units for issue number one. And speculation has been as low as 190,000. But even at 190,000, it's the highest selling book of 2020. So at 300,000, it would be almost double of what the next available book was. And that was number two was Detective Comics 1000 at 175,000 units sold. Then you got Batman 98 at sixth at 100K and Batman 99 ninth at 90K. Um, And if you go down like in the top 20, it was a banter year for DC in individual unit sales um, because DC had a ton of anniversaries in 2020. You had um, Joker, Robin, Wonder Woman, Batman. Um, I think that was it. So you, you had all these... You had all of these, oh no, Flash, Flash had, a, had an anniversary. So you had all these major characters with anniversaries that fortunately, you know, when their, their anniversary book was up, you could do 10 to 15 variant covers, which obviously boosts sales numbers, which is smart marketing. It's smart. That's smart business, right? If you know you have a, a major milestone book coming up, make it, make it, juice it up, put more covers out, put more, more things out for fans to buy. Makes the most sense. Um, but that doesn't mean that Marvel didn't have, obviously, you know, within the top 10, if we're, we're talking four books, Marvel, Marvel put out six, I believe. Um, six issues that were, no, so f- it was five. So because Spawn, Spawn was in there as well um, for Image. So, but that goes to show you, though, that although they only had a, a small portion of the market share, they were dominating the market in the sense of popularity and, you know, where Marvel might have just been week to week selling more books, DC ultimately made up for it, whether it was in, you know, miniseries like The Three Jokers or these anniversary issues like Detective 1000 and so forth. Um, but yeah, so that all leads into, you know, what we're talking about today. Ultimately, what we would do, what we think they're doing well, what we think they're doing poorly, and how we would address it if we were put in charge of the company. Um, I'll go with my things that I think they're doing wrong and then I'll let Charlie do, do the same and then we'll talk about what we think they're doing well and then things that we, um, we would do in order to fix the company. Um, what I think they're doing wrong, um, I think DC, along with Marvel, even though they obviously make up a major portion of the market share, both companies, uh, I think they have too many titles. They have too many changes happening at one point like within books and they have too many directions going at the same time. Now you can have a multiverse like in the DC, the omniverse, whatever you want to call it, right? You can, you can have that correct, but you can't have the omniverse metaverse and linear verse all occurring at the same time with major stories that are changing how the universe is being written and have multiple artists or multiple authors writing these stories. Because ultimately, one person's going to come out on top and move forward with the universe, and DC seems to be having a problem with that. You know what I mean? Like, they want 
they want the Snyderverse, you know, Scott Snyder's, it's crazy, Scott Snyder's comic book universe with death metal to move forward at, into out of future state and into uh, um, Infinite Frontier, but they have this Generations book going on that's showing the 5G thought process of this linear universe that's occurring next to it. And then you also had Jeff Johns' Doomsday Clock that essentially reset the universe back to like normalcy because Dr. Manhattan allowed it to happen. I just think that's too much within a three to four year range. Um, I think their advertising is shit. You don't, I don't, you don't see enough advertisement about things that are happening in print within DC. You, you can go on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Like it doesn't cost that fucking much money to, to do what you need to do and to target the people that you need to target. These companies can afford a thousand dollar a month, you know, advertisement budget for print. They could do it if they wanted to. Um, and then I think they should promote characters based off of relevancy and not historical importance, right? You know, and what, what I mean by that is, is if, you know, right now, Yara Floor is hot. She's one of the, the most popular DC characters they have, the new Wonder Woman. They need to promote her. They need to push her. They need to make toys for her. They need to do advertisements involving her. They need to, they need to capitalize on her popularity because I think if, if the most diehard fans are willing to move on from Diana Prince and move to Yara Floor as Wonder Woman then the general public would get behind her. You know what I mean? Like they, they would be okay with this idea because they're like, okay, well, if everybody else likes her, then why, why do I have to not, why would I not give her a shot? Um, instead of just being like, okay, well, your floor is really popular with the nerds, but we're just going to keep pushing Diana Prince down everybody's throats because it's easiest. It's what everybody knows. Um, I think if they're trying to build for the future and they're trying to build on some of these characters that they're creating with, whether within Future State or Infinite Frontier or whatever, they need to advertise these characters. And, and when people are like, well, what happened to Wonder Woman? And like, yeah, you're going to have some people like, oh, why do they have to change it? Well, they didn't change Diana Prince. It's not like they took Diana Prince and they made her Mexican-American or they made her a different person. Like, Diana Prince still exists, but this is, this is a predecessor. This is ultimately what we're moving towards. Um, other than that, I don't think they're doing anything at the comic level incorrectly. I think the the management of the company is absolutely horrible, but with us stepping in in this scenario, I think that's how you know we perceive to to fix things. So what are some of the things you think they're doing wrong or not doing well? All right, so uh, my biggest thing is I would say you're a media company. you 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 put out movies, you put out television, you put out comics. And yet you you can't find a way to kind of connect those things together. Mm-hmm. Um, not in the same way that uh, Marvel has, right? Um, you they they've created this this universe where their shows, their you know whatever it is that they're doing, um, it's it's all connected to a much bigger story. And I feel like even if people go, oh, well, DC's copying what Marvel's doing, I feel like that's not a bad thing, right? Um, because, like, think about it. With, with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you have all of the movies. Um, you, and, and a lot of those movies can stand alone on their own. It's just they are part of a much bigger story arc. 
But then you have shows like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, or WandaVision or, or something like that that tie into the bigger story. Um, whereas DC has decided to fragment everything off, um, you know, with, with their movies, with their comics, with their, with their TV shows. That's why there's an Arrowverse, Um, and that's why, um, you know, the, the comics are the way they are. Like they don't really fit the, the, what's going on in the, in the cinematic universe, so to speak. So I feel like maybe combining those things, that would be a much better, or at least, Giving it that's giving us that as an option um, would be a much better move than than keeping everything fragmented. Um, as far as comics go, no, I don't really have any complaints other than, you know, keep them paper. I, if you want to do digital, that's fine, but don't uh, don't get rid of the the paper copy. And I agree with you; there are too many titles. Yeah, um, there there's there's definitely too many um, just random books that you know. I don't even think you or I are, are, would ever even think about picking them up um, unless maybe it had some cover art on it that was like, oh, that's cool, and that catches your attention. But other than that, I don't think that, that you know, like, uh, doing away with books altogether, like actual paper books altogether, um, that that would be a smart strategy because guess what? I will buy a comic book just for the cover art. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, so that's that's money that's going back into their pockets. Uh, and then the last thing, you know, you know me, like I I definitely enjoy my action figures and stuff. Um, and uh, while I've I've on one of our around the multiverse issues, uh, you know, I praise McFarland for their customer service and the quality of the figure that I got. Um, I miss the DC Direct. You know, like. Yeah, the regular releases for the DC Direct line, um, or the things that you could get through them. So uh, uh, there's definitely the the market is there. I mean, you and I both know that we're. I mean, we're we're in a collector group with over a thousand members, and there are plenty of people that you know would get on board um, with uh, with more collectibles. And uh, like you, I mean, you picked up that that uh, that Nika. Batarang. Yeah, the next right. Yeah. And and that I mean that's that's cool. Um you know, years ago they did like an actual like one for one replica of all of the different lanterns. I mean they were expensive, but they they existed. Yeah. Um, you know, why why can't you keep doing stuff like that? Uh it <laughs> and, and stop leaving it up to independent companies to do it. Like your DC. Yeah. Go ahead and, and push it yourself. You're you have that ability. It, it it actually means more to me if it has the DC stamp on it versus, you know, a, a Todd McFarlane stamp. Yeah. So some so to build off of some of the things Charlie was pointing out there that he believes DC has done well. Um I think some of the things just for me sitting down and thinking about it, setting up at the conventions is a good thing whether it's a big or a small convention, because they came to Awesome Con too. And Awesome Con's a larger convention in our area, in the D.C. area, but they could start doing this at like Baltimore Con. Anything that's Comic-Con related to it, if D.C. sent a representative or a booth, would be big for them. It doesn't need to be massive. It doesn't need to take up half the landmark, but just something. Um, The D.C. in D.C. event that they held a couple years ago that I was fortunate enough to go to, which is turning into a once in a lifetime opportunity, apparently. 
um, was an amazing idea. It was a free event to fans. They did it at a museum. They did a free showing of Gotham, Gotham by Gaslight, um, like a premiere, like a world premiere kind of thing, with a Q and A with the whole entire cast. Then the next two days were were more like Q and A, you know, um, panel type style setups. But you could also meet your favorite artists, writers, and actors from the DC multiverse, the DC, you know, comics verse. Like, so that was cool. That is that is fan service at its finest. Now you had to get tickets to it, and it was a limited event. I think to like five hundred people per day or something like that. And we all obviously were on top of it and got tickets each day. But it's that's a tremendous idea, right? Like that's 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 great fan service. And you only have to do it once, maybe twice a year, and it doesn't always have to be in the same place. You could do one event in the West Coast, and you could do another event in the East Coast. These people are contracted to you. What do you got to pay for some hotels, some, you know, some, some meals? Like it's worth it. You know what I mean? Like fly them out. It's worth it. Um, I think the HBO, HBO max, um, merger with the DC app, although most people were kind of upset about it is smart. I think in the long run, it gives a better, you're going to get more eyes on DC product on HBO max than you would for the, through the DC universe. Um, one thing that I think a lot of people would be surprised um, to hear from me, at least, is the Walmart Target comics. I wasn't a big fan of the 100-page Giants, but I do like this idea of sending Walmart and Giant shrink-wrapped or packaged individual issue comics, like a couple number ones or, you know, some, some you know, issues like, you know, 25s or whatever, and packaging them together and then selling them for five bucks at Walmart. I think that's I think that's smart because these are probably books either being sent back to you that haven't been sold or maybe they're books that you just printed too many of. You send them to Walmart, put in a local ad though. Like that's the only thing I have a complaint about that is is you need to wet the beak of your local and small businesses when you're using these major corporations. And they aren't going to care because they're carrying DC Comics in their store. They're not going to care that in that package is a sheet that lists off all the local comic book stores for that state, right? So if you know you're sending out comics to, to Walmart or Target, Maryland, just send it, and it, could just, it doesn't even, it could just be a list of all the comic book stores in the state. I feel like that's, that's shop service, right? That's something that they could do to, to make that a little bit better. Um, is there anything you miss that you think that they're doing well in comics? Uh, I mean, in comics, I mean, they're, so they're, they're giving us, they're at least trying, right. They're at least giving us different, different things. They're giving us different stories. Um, you know, I, I even like this like little event, you know, the, the future state event, the, the, and I think we've kind of critiqued it. It's like, okay, but if you give us the payoff now, then why do I want to read everything that's going to happen up to it? Um, but, uh, you know, uh, events like this are fine. Like I'm fine with, with mini arcs and, and, and things like that. Like you don't need to, not everything has to be some year or two year long story. Yeah. Uh, you can, you can just do, Hey, this is what's going on right now. Boom. Done. And, and move on. And, um, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, I, 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 
I like DC Comics. I like I like the writers. I like the majority of the artists that they have. Um, so, you know, it. So, so what you're saying is you you there's not much you don't dislike about what they're doing at a a fan level. It's just there's some maybe some things at the top of the the, the food chain that you think are, are are starting to hinder the performance of the brand overall. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it has so much to do with with the comics itself. It's the brand. And and you know, you and I I feel like uh you know, generally we're at, we're we're outnumbered whenever we're having the conversations, right? Yeah. Um within our within our little crew of folks, right? Because the majority of them are, you know, diehard Marvel folks, even though, you know, uh, I, I feel like DC is telling the better stories. DC gets written off because it's like, yeah, but look, what about their movies? Yeah. And, and because of that, that's why they are, they're painted. Um, so it's, it's, yes, it's a brand issue. It's not a comic issue. Yeah. So let's move into, okay. It's day one. We have, spent a tremendous amount of money to, to to acquire the publishing rights of DC comics. Like much like the bleeding cool article that led us to this discussion today stated there were fans interested in doing so. Um, I'm now in charge. Um, I'm running day-to-day operations. These are some of the things that I would implement pretty much day one to focus laser, focus our brand and laser focus what we're putting out. I the first thing I do is I sign James Tynan to a long-term deal and give him full rights to whatever character he wants to write. I know he's doing Batman right now, but he's written tremendously for Image and Boom. He's written he did the Justice League series with Scott Snyder prior to jumping on the Batman. The guy doesn't seem to miss. He's young. He's he's extremely ambitious. I think he has the ability to to see this brand into the future, so to speak. I'm not making him in charge of anything, but I'm I'm pushing him to the front of my writers. He's he will be my lead writer essentially moving forward. I would give similar brand deals to Tom Taylor and Sean Murphy. These are the three guys that have put out works of of art in my opinion over the last two to three years for the DC comics brand. Um, you obviously keep guys like Bendis on retainer. You, you know, Bendis is a guy that they spent a lot of money to bring over from Marvel. He stays on, but I don't think he gets the level of anonymity that he's been given under my, my tutelage. He's obviously maybe even, I would say maybe you push Bendis to, almost like a co-lead role with James because you need a youthful disposition moving forward. Um, And then I say for the guys that everybody's come accustomed to, you know, the Snyders, King, Jeff Johns, and even Mark Wade has been talks of coming back to DC. You bring those guys in for maxi level series. Think this Batman Catwoman series, right? It's a 12 issue arc. It's, it's not, or nine or 12, whatever, whatever gets you to the maxi series. It's not a 50 issue, you know, assignment. It's, we're going to give you 12 issues, get them out on time, make them really good. And we're going to give you a really good artist. We're going to give you clay, man. We're going to give you, you know, Sean Murphy will, will come on or Jim will bring Jim in and let him do his thing. Um, and then same thing with like a three jokers. 
Give me some mini series that you put all your time, all your attention. We put a Jason Fabok who's going to crush the artwork on it or a Michael Cho or whatever and make it the best story you can make it. Make fans want to write, want you to write a 50 issue arc based off your three issue thing. Um, I worked on, uh, I, I stated already that I think doing the DC and DC style events is great because it gives access to not only the, the print properties, but we can incorporate the movies and TVs and try to start to interweave that multiverse. Um, and they should stay focused on the convention scene. They shouldn't get out of it. That's where the nerds congregate. That's where your diehards are at. It's fan service. It makes them happy that you're there. Um, and then advertising during the CW, HBO Max, and all theatered DC movies. There should be a visit your local comic shop for these new titles, blah, 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 and then set up just a link, visit comicstockdc.com. You know what I mean? And that's how you, that's how you advertise on behalf of your, your shops, right? That, would, that, that is shop service. We have fan service. We have shop service. You have to take care of your shops. They're the ones that are your lifeblood. They're, they're pushing your product for you. Um, and then I think we, we kind of talked about fixed continuity. Make it more, make it more streamlined. You know, if you want to do the omniverse, do the omniverse. If you want to do the linear verse, do the linear verse, the metaverse, the metaverse. You can't do all three at the same time. Stop doing this shit. It's too much. I think the omniverse has the most, has the highest chance of pushing us down a path of continuity that's streamlined. Because now everything has occurred in the DC universe. We are aware it occurs and we all exist within the same universe now. We're not all different you know, Earths and this, that, and a third. We, we still are, but we're not all like different, basically, timelines. We're all together now. Um, if they're going to focus on the Omniverse, like I said, they need to focus on some of the younger heroes we have in these stories. Jessica Cruz, Duke Williams, Terry McGinnis for the future state type stuff. Damian Wayne, John Kent, Wallace West, and Yara Floor. These are all characters that the next generation could get behind being their respective heroes. Damian Wayne doesn't need to be Batman. He could be somebody else. Jonathan Kent doesn't need to be Superman. He could be something else. Same thing with Wallace West being the Flash. He could be something else. But it's got to be creative. You know what I mean? It's got to be something that we can really get behind and stand behind. Um, I, surprise... Maybe a surprise or not, but Milestone Comics needs to give us an era of diversity that comics has struggled with. They don't need to force diversify characters anymore. If you have Milestone Comics, bring in young, hungry writers with good, ambitious ideas and create new superheroes that are of different race, different creeds, different whatever. There's no need to make a Superman black or make Clark Kent black, essentially. There's no need to make, you know, Barry Allen non-binary. Make a non-binary hero that fans can get behind. Make a superhero, an African-American superhero that fans can get behind. And I said that uh, on my notes, I have Black Lightning and Static Shock have to work. They have to be your, 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 your catalysts in that milestone comic branding. They need to be the two that when you do your, your major crossovers, they get a major part. And I also think that that at, under that milestone, if you're really going to make it your 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 olive branch of diversity, give John John Stewart 
a solid Green Lantern book under there. Maybe a maxi or miniseries. Give Martian Manhunter a good story. You know, the, the, there's there's plenty of of African American heroes that don't get enough due under the DC brand. That if you if you want to put them somewhere, put them under the milestone brand and allow that brand to grow concurrently. Um, and then I think as far as publishing goes, publish the big eight. Maxi and mini smear series for smaller names. And then, and by big eight, I mean Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Green Lantern. Um, uh, that's what? That's five. Aquaman, Martian Manhunter, and Cyborg. If you're going to, if you're going to push Cyborg, he should be the last one that you push. Um, but then you cut the fat. Rest of these, like Harley Quinn, Suicide Squad, all, give them mini series, give them maxi series, give them something that isn't necessarily an investment for your fans, but something that people are like, oh, it's only going to be 12 issues, I'll get that. Or it's only going to be three issues, I'll buy into that. Um, and then give us continuity stories and weekly episodical stories. If Batman and Superman are going to get, you know, Batman, Superman, action and detective, Batman and Superman should be continuity. It should be one fluid storyline that flows with all the rest of the storylines, right? And then detective and action comics should be weekly, episodical. Okay, Batman figures this crime out in 32 pages. Superman figures this crime out or this villain out in 32 pages. And I think that's a way to streamline things for all the heroes, right? Um but those are my those are my things I'm doing to fix DC Comics. I think all of those things help. It cuts the fat. It cuts you down. It gets you to a point where you're not publishing all these extra bullshit books that nobody's buying just to put character names on shelves. You're doing your fan service with your convention and free events. You're doing your shop service by continuously advertising for them and pushing shop names and or the idea of comic shops into people's psyche by putting it with their movies and TV and so forth. Um, and it keeps you, you're keeping a footprint in all the major box stores by keeping books and targets and Walmarts. Um, and you're promoting within your company, the artists, authors, and people that are doing well. You're not just living on the namesake of a Jim Lee or Dan DeDito or Jeff Johns or whoever else you could bring in. Right, I think this formula works in my mind. Um, this is how I would fix DC universe or the DC Comics um, universe. I'm very interested in to hear what Charlie would do because I feel like he has probably something different in mind. Yeah, I mean, so for me, I, I think a lot of it has to stem in 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 uh, getting the next generation involved. Like you are, you and I are in. Right. Yeah. The old guys that, that were in before us, they're still in. <laughs> um, but getting this next generation in is, is gonna be a challenge because you're you're fighting for for attention. You're fighting you're fighting to get them interested in these superheroes that really in reality, like up until now. I, I don't think that there's really been anything. There's there's been a lull on the DC side of things. Yeah. Um, and so like I mean I feel like you know something that that has been good. Um, again we go back to like we talk about our around the multiverse is like you brought up like the Spin Master Batman figures. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like that's a great, great step. Um, but 
how do you get these kids to go from buying action figures to comic books? And because there isn't anything that's really targeting them to go that route. Package comics um, with action figures. Exactly. You put a mini comic in there. You put something in it that gets them interested. One, it's getting kids to read, which they need. <laughs> um, even if it's even if it is superhero related, like yeah. they're still reading, right? Um, so, I, like th- this is where I would take DC. Um, you want to keep the cinematic universe all doom and gloom, then that's fine. Um, you know, we're the adults, we're the ones spending the money. But I guarantee you that if you if you change course and you focus it more towards, and I'm not saying make it kid friendly, like uh, 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 I backtrack that. I'm not saying make it you know like oh everything's rainbows and sunshine, but make it so that I can take you know, Cam, you know, who's, who's four and it will keep his attention because it's not, you know, um, just a bunch of the, like the, the, the movies that we've gotten. Yeah. All these dialogue scenes and everything that's going on, like they serve their purpose. They serve their point, but it's, um, but, it's dominating. But, right. He's, he's not going to care about that. He wants to see superheroes. He wants to see them fight. He wants to see them fly around, shoot lasers out of their eyes, do whatever it is that they got to do. Uh, same thing with Tyler and same thing with, with, you know, Charlie, like they're, they're, they're all, uh, um, they want to see the superheroes be superheroes. They don't want the, yeah. <laughs> all the other stuff that comes along with it because they're children. Um, so if, if I'm going to take the helm of DC, I'm focusing it towards kids. Yeah. Um, because that's what you need to capitalize on. If you want to continue your brand, um, and yeah, you, you can still do all the other stuff that you've been doing. You can have adult oriented products and, 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 and characters and, and things like that. But, you know, sometimes simple things work, right? Yeah. You want, you want to do an Adam West style Batman comic. Hey, that's great. That's perfect for a kid to get into, to reading Batman because they're not going to care about, you know, Oh, there's a dead hooker in the street, um, you know. Uh, but she's got you know the Joker's lipstick paint all over his face or, yeah. or all over her face, right? Like that's not the stuff you want your kid reading. You want them to have to, you know, you want them in the the hijinks, yeah. you know, those types of things. So, so what? So ultimately, what you would do at DC is what WWE did at the end of the Attitude Era, and you would you would shift your focus to more of a PG culture. So that, you know, advertisers, people like that would want to buy into the product, obviously. But also, you're making your product more kid-friendly. So the big, bigger box stores like Target and, you know, Walmart and stuff would be probably more inclined to give you end cap space and things like that to put your toy products that are related to your comics, related to your movies, whatever. But you're also, like you said, you're dropping mini comics in with these toys to get these kids interested in picking up a printed comic book to read these stories and read the things that you're doing. Correct. Give or take. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's because guess what? Being a parent, uh, you know, being a dad, you, you will, you will spend money on your kids because they'll go, Hey, I really want this. This is something that I like. And because it's something that you love, right. It's always yeah. something that I love. Like I'm up 
if my kid comes to me with with a Power Ranger and says, "I want this," it's hard for me to say no, yeah. right? The same thing. If they come to me with with a comic book, it's hard for me to say no. Yeah. Um. Whereas, like, if they come to me with something like that's by Nights at Freddy's, it's very easy for me to say, "Uh, yeah, no, you're not getting that." Yeah. Because I don't have any, uh, I don't have any attachment to it. It's not my. And like thing. you said, we can still have our adult oriented stuff. You still have, you could still print. You know, even in my my perfect world or where I'm running it, I'm still printing black label. Because Black Label allows you to explore the more adult-oriented stuff. But <clears throat> ultimately speaking, like you said, you need to hook future generations. Generations before us are still hooked because they got hooked at an early age. Our generation is hooked. The next generation needs to be hooked. And they can't, you can't hook a generation on comic books through television or through movies. You know, Ultimately, they may garner an interest through those things, but you need people like us who collect comics to be the gate, not the gatekeepers, but basically the gate guides of like, oh, you like this movie? Here's the books. And you're like, they have pictures with little, little words and you don't have to really think too hard. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of those things I think evolutionary wise, like it's almost like we've said before in previous issues of Hot Off the Press about talking about how to save the comic book industry. Is it, it's just the introduction to the characters are different. We were introduced maybe through a TV show or an animated show, or you know, some generations were introduced at the comic book store or the pop shop with the circular rack, whatever. Everybody's being introduced differently, but ultimately we all want to consume as much as we can. We all go through that phase of like where you're introduced to a musical artist, right? Or a band or a, you know, a a singer or whatever and like you just binge that music right like that's all you listen to especially when you were a kid you know every kid goes through you know the 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 hard rock the hair band the rap the pop like we all go through those phases right so ultimately speaking the same thing is happening in comics you know you're introduced like you go and see a batman movie and you're like man that was fucking awesome i want more and you're like, oh, there's 10 different television shows. Well, I want more after that. And like it, it, it devolves, right? It, or it evolves into wanting more and more and more. And then ultimately, you're waiting for the next series or the next season or the next movie. And well, guess what can hold you over between those? Reading comics. Um, but ultimately, me and Charlie do not have billions of dollars. Um, so we will not be purchasing DC Comics at any point in time. Um, I would... I would come on as a fan ambassador. They could have me. I would do that as a volunteer position. Um, but all I'm thinking about is like, if you and I had billions of dollars, we would probably be out there fighting crime as vigilantes. <laughs> <laughs> but like I said, though, you know, these are just ideas. These are premises. These are things we thought would be interesting for you guys to hear us talk about um, for this anniversary issue. Um, moving forward, we are going to have a bit of a different format. Um, we haven't quite decided whether or not we're going to do Mondays or Wednesdays, but it looks like we're leaning towards Wednesdays for our wrestling um, in between inside the ropes issues uh, moving forward. And we will be doing uh, Fridays for comics and the reason and our hot off the press. The reason why we're doing this change is because it gives us the most up to date drop dates for these issues because we talk a lot about wrestling on inside the ropes and we talk a whole lot about comics on hot off the press but this would also allow us to go that week's drops for comics and that week's news for wrestling 
Um, ultimately speaking, if we drop on Friday, we can talk about Wednesdays, Tuesdays and Wednesdays releases for comics and then, you know, so on and so forth moving forward. Our Around the Multiverse issues will drop on Mondays um, when, we, when we do them, um, which is like every two, three weeks. Um, so ultimately speaking, we still will be putting out up to three issues every couple of weeks, but our weekly issues that we put out every week will, will be dropping on different dates moving forward. Um, and it works better for us scheduling wise and everything else to make sure we're getting things out to you guys on time. Um, so with that said, this issue obviously is dropping on Monday. Um, you will get a wrestling issue on Friday or on Wednesday, and you will get a, another comics issue on Friday. Um, so if you're not already doing so subscribe, like, and share this podcast, um, with your friends and family, um, leave us a comment, leave us a review. If you're not already doing so find us on social media at, at DGI podcast, um, leave us a comment, let us know what you're, what you want to talk about, what you want to hear us talk about. If you're interested in getting on the show to have a discussion with us, we're absolutely open to interviews. Uh, we've done one to this point, uh, but we would like to start incorporating more moving forward in this, these, um, these next 50 issues um, to get us to 100. Um, any thoughts or uh, closing remarks there, Charlie? I have nothing, sir. Just, no. uh, yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's all, all right. I... Well, then you can send us home. All right, man. Well, uh, as always, folks, thanks for listening. Thanks for getting us to 50 issues, and we'll see you. Uh, we'll see you around the multiverse. Or, between the ropes, inside the ropes, inside the ropes is where we're going to see you. All right. That's it. That's all I got. I'll catch y'all later. Hit our music. Oh yeah. <laughs> and hit our, and hit our music. Dude, we've been doing this for 50 issues. And it took you 50. 50 it took you 50 to mess it up. Oh my God. All right. Send us home. Yeah. Go ahead and hit our music. Mm-hmm.